Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 207. Uh, It's a conversation with Meg Williams. She is the executive director of the New Zealand Festival. Uh, I always refer to it as the Festival of the Arts because that's how I first, that's what it was called when I first started reviewing it, but it's the New Zealand Festival and the brand is Tarfri. They are also in oversee the Lexus Songquest and the Jazz Festival and a couple of other things. Um, So Meg's been involved with the festival for a long time. I actually first met her a good sort of 10 years ago and she was involved in marketing with the festival and she's moved her way up to now the executive director. I was always interested in getting her story. She grew up in England and so she tells that story about how she got involved in the arts and in in fact as a, a volunteer and an intern at various festivals. But uh, obviously the timing of this podcast is such that the the 2020 New Zealand Festival is nearly upon us. It takes place across Wellington um, late February and into March for three weeks. And uh, there'll be a link to the program. I've already talked to Marnie Carmelita, the um, program director. And uh, this is is like another version of that conversation, but with Meg's story as well. And uh, this is also the very last uh, podcast that I recorded in 2019. So recorded this before Meg could go and have a holiday before the, the, the hard work of 2020 kicks in um, for her and for the festival um, so yeah everything you hear after this on the podcast will be a brand new 2020 recording um, but it was nice to you know Meg and I have known each other as I say for a few years and we've uh, always sort of see each other at gigs and, and talk shop it was nice to get more of her personal story as well as a lot of information about how the festival works, what 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 goes into the behind the scenes of it. I hope you enjoy this, uh, and I'll include a lot of links to the various things that are on, and uh, and to the previous conversation with Marnie. And um, yeah, this is me talking with Executive Director of the New Zealand Festival, Meg Williams. I feel like I've m- met you about nearly ten years ago, about eight yeah. years ago. That's right. I yeah. feel like I met you. You hooked me up with the Sunny Rollins interview. Yeah. And you met me before that. You kind of screened me. No, I came and had a cup, I came and had a cup of tea. Yeah, that's what I call it. Oh, right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You screened me Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was... Um, yeah, I came to New Zealand in 2011. Mm. And um, at that point, I've been back and forth. My dad lives out here and I've got family here, but... Mm. I came when I got offered the head of marketing job at the festival, as was then. And, um, yeah, one of the first things I was doing is kind of, like, figuring out who I should meet and say hello yeah, to who's, and who's, who's, who's doing what. And then, yeah, we had this awesome Sonny Rollins opportunity. I think I'd walked in the door and Sue Patterson said to me, oh, tomorrow we're announcing Sonny Rollins. And so wow, immediately right. I kind of had to, as you do in festival land, you just yeah. sort of had to go, like, better write a press release. Because that <laughs> um, was... That was the kind of start of recreating the jazz festival, wasn't it? Was, it was, yeah, it yeah. It was kind of the bridge, <laughs> say bridge, and that's an obvious Sonny Rollins pun, but the bridging thing between, like, there was a big jazz festival years ago, yeah. and it kind of ran its course, and then it was like this one-off event with Sonny Rollins, and then that's built up to now. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of fi- trying to f- refine its feet, I mm, think, for a little mm. while. And um, so, I mean, kudos to David Inns, mm. um, who... I'm not. I, I wasn't around at the time when the kind of handing over of the reins happened, but mm. I know that at that point um, there was a kind of feeling like that it needed some fresh energy, perhaps. Mm. Um, and the festival was already. David had already brought the Lexus Songquest kind of into the 
um, just sort of quietly into what the festival was doing in the off season. And so, yeah, I think they had a really big jazz festival in the summer mm. and they did this crazy thing where they built a mezzanine on in the town hall. Yeah, you must I re- have gone I, to those. I did, I remember it. I wish I'd gone to that. It was bizarre. I think in Tony fact, Rabbit was, built it and, I mean, it's the stuff of legend. I, I was talking about it with someone the other day, actually. We were remembering a particular gig and I, all I could remember was Brad Maldell played and yeah. uh, there was someone else that someone had mentioned to me and I was, and then they said the venue was really strange and I was like oh yes that's when they kind of raised the floor, the floor of the town hall and by made creating it into a sort w- of jazz club yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and yes. um, so that was 20, 2008 mm, I think mm. and then um, then what happened was I don't know if you remember this but it was like the Rugby World Cup stuff happened mm. so they must have done or perhaps that was 2009 mm. and then um, basically there was this and it was going to be on the off year of the arts festival yeah and then um, the Rugby World Cup came and I think the kind of funding from City Council was everything was put on hiatus I think it happened to the Jazz Festival and as I understand it a few other mm, events as well mm. and it was sort of like this juggernaut came through and then the, the danger always when something like that happens is that then you know there starts to be a consideration of well what should we do and yeah. so um, so then at that point um Sue Patterson was the executive director and, you know, was fighting her guts out to make sure that it continued. Mm. And so that 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 was the year where they decided, I think, we'll, we'll just have Sonny Rollins, make sure that we keep the momentum and don't mm. let it fall out of the kind of ecosystem because that's always a danger. And so we did that. That was my first year. And, I mean, what an honour to do something like that. It was, well, just, it was fantastic. You um, set up this interview that I did with him and it's... Probably, really, it was, it's easily my all-time favourite phone interview I ever did. Oh, fantastic. And it's probably my, the first significant moment where I went, why, why am I not recording these things? Because yeah. I never recorded interviews. So no, I would right. always do phone interviews and just handwrite them. Yeah. So just write notes, listen, you know, obviously listening, being in the moment. And I wrote a really good piece I was really pleased with. But I also, as soon as the phone call finished, it was just this instant hit of, you know, I I would like to hear that back at some point. I don't know if anyone else wants to hear it, but I want to hear it. Yeah. And in a weird kind of way, that sort of got me towards what I'm doing now in terms of doing podcasts. Amazing. So, yeah. yeah. And, and what a gig, yeah. Yeah, what a gig. And I think we, um, yeah, and he was really generous with his time and mm. um, in terms of doing preview interviews. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, is is a constant question really is like with someone like Sonny Rollins they've got a name you know they've got a a huge Mm. following Mm. but for a lot of the artists that we present they might not there may not be a sort of public consciousness awareness in the same way of like your Lady Gaga's or Lolly Anderson so um, the the in-depth coverage um, you know the preview interviews talking with people who are really interested in the kind of history of that artist and what they're working on now I think is it's so important and um, you know that's one of the challenges that we have uh, you mm. know, and will c- continue to be challenges is, is you know it's especially with the kind of at- attention span problem is like how do we how do we help tell that story really around mm. who those artists are and so yeah it was a great introduction it was a great first gig to do mm. and um, and then the brilliant thing after that is that you know we 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 really worked quite hard to with council around what happened to the jazz festival after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sue and uh, you know Sheila Magadza then came on as the artistic director, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of there were a lot of conversations about um, what to do with it. And, and in the end, um, you know, we were trying to 
make sure that there was a continuation of its history but also to evolve it in some way so it could um, I guess regain its momentum and and I remember distinctly sitting around the you know the table having a conversation about moving it into the sort of June slot from the summer and there was you know understandably there's a lot of anxiety around that because you worry about mm, habit and mm. you know summer's a good time but actually it was the best thing we could have done because mm. you know jazz works in the winter yeah and, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also means that all of those venues that are you know working their guts out year round that's a relatively quiet time for them it means they can put focus on it and mm. um so the new the new model as it were i think I, I, as i understand it i think um in the sort of first iterations that the festival was in charge of it was like a fully curated program yes um whereas then we moved to having the kind of um headline series that was curated by the the festival artistic director and then this yeah open program yeah yeah um and we worked particularly with a number of the key venues and that the, there's changes over time as well and really that's just exploded the whole thing out yeah because you have places like meow where people can just go and base themselves there totally. for the festival and know that they're going to get two or three shows a night and it's a really symbiotic relationship yeah. i think mm. i don't think that the the headliners wouldn't work without the mm, mm. the you know huge wealth of other activity going on around it because it's that it's the alchemy of the fact that Yes, you can see a headliner, but then you can have gone to two gigs before that and there's somewhere to go later. Um, and the musicians love it. Mm, the international mm. musicians love that part of it. Um, well, they go and sit in with... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they go and play yeah. and, you know... If there was ever a genre of music where people are going to go and do exactly. the extra extra study after their paying gig on the same night, it's Definitely. jazz. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that, um, you know, hopefully one of the great things about the just the kind of audience reaction has been so positive and you know we've got m lots of people coming from all around the country now mm. um and they have sort of have it in that we just had an email the other day from a guy from the states who was saying oh you know i i uh, had been over for the jazz festival and and we get yeah people from all over the country who kind of put it in their diary so it's a really good thing yeah so um that's that's been a good experiment mm. and um you can never take these things for granted but they <laughs> yeah. they work because of a lot of goodwill from the musicians and the mm. industry to be honest and mm. um so you know really i tip my hat to them but it, it, it feels about as robust as it could be yeah it's <laughs> i know that's a t always a touchwood kind of thing with the arts but yeah yeah it certainly has has grown itself a pair of legs and is yeah. up and running right like, yeah and so. like to have herbie hancock last year that mm. sort of took it up a notch this year wasn't it yeah, this, this year, year took it up a notch and um yeah again that was um that was so wonderful and moving into the mfc yeah which was kind of a one-year only deal really because um there was another gig that um venues wanted to put into the opera house and they sort of asked us whether we would move and again we were have we not had Herbie? But you know, we were a bit nervous about that. But actually, it worked really well. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so we'll be back in the Opera House next year. And, yeah. Um, but the. But I yeah, think, it started with Sonny Rollins as that kind of, you know, living legend heritage, and then yeah. Heritage Act, and then there's like Herbie Hancock. But there's pe people like Wayne Shorter. Exactly, it's yeah. been an amazing. Um, yeah, run it of, has. Yeah, it has. Yeah. So no pressure on mm. money. Well. <laughs> let, Let's, let's park that for a bit and go all the way back. So I met you in 2011, and so mm -hmm. I've been pretty aware of what... I mean, we see each other a bit at gigs and, yeah. and talk and stuff, and so I know you well in that sense. But what happened before I met you? You didn't grow up here. Let's go back to where to your childhood, where you grew up, and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, okay. Well, um, so uh, my... 
parents are from the United Kingdom. My my dad's a very proud Welshman, and uh, from Aberystwyth, and um, he met my mum there. And then we, um, so I grew up near Brighton in the mm. southeast of England. My dad had a teaching job down there. My mum's from Yorkshire, so they were sort of both in their families, the first generation to leave their hometowns and or village in my dad's case and um and go to university and that sort of stuff and so um yeah my dad had done his teacher training and then he got offered a job in this school down in the southeast and um so neither of my parents had been anywhere near there mm. uh, that much so um yeah I was born there and then when I was um six my dad emigrated to New Zealand and my parents divorced, and my dad um, has uh, had uh, children here, so I have four siblings in New Zealand. So from the age of about seven, I would I was kind of conscious of you know New Zealand and the rest of the world as seven years seven year olds are. Mm-hmm. But I would I I came not not a huge amount because it was really expensive. Yeah. Um, and actually, God, I feel I feel quite old in saying that. I remember my dad used to send, you know, those really thin letters. They were like airmail, sort mm, of, mm. and um, they were really, really fine paper, so mm. you get. And and so we would communicate because even sort of like calling, I remember just you know, yeah. it was expensive at the time, and there's no Skype and WhatsApp, and like now mm. I have a three-year-old, and you know the grandparents get like minute by minute updates. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But um, it, it wasn't even that long ago, but it, yeah, it felt you, like a world away. As soon as you're going back to talking about a landline, yeah. basically, yeah. it feels archaic yeah. now, right? Yeah, like, definitely. You know, if it's not a text message. Yeah. yeah. So um, so we came out here, and then, um, and then I went to school, and then I went to university, and I guess in terms of my interest in the art stuff, like, I've always been into it from a very mm. very early age and well what 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 do you think triggered that promoted that were you were you just a big reader um probably I was more into singing mm. and music um to start off with I've always I, I've loved reading I've always loved reading um and that's I mean but yeah I I love to sing and um you know my dad is um the Welsh are pretty strong singers yes, so yeah that, um, yeah so I love to do that, and um, and then the the place I grew up, um, it it had a sort of cinema come theatre. Um, in the UK, there's like a massive pantomime sort of uh, fascination. Well, I so, love how you said that. You couldn't. No one can say the word pantomime all the way through. Well, some without, people. My old boss was without a, huge, a bit of a chuckle. Like I think that's why it's been. Sh- I think yeah, that's yeah. why it's been shortened yeah. to panto, so people can say it without yeah, exactly. mocking themselves mid-word. Yeah. So um, that we used to get a lot of panto, but to be fair, there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of anything else. So <laughs> probably my encountering of like music would be at home. My mum, my dad loved like in the times my dad was living with us. You know, he he had a record player and he played music all the time, and and then I would sort of. Um, you know, sing at school and in choirs mm. and that sort of stuff. And I loved it. And for a long time, I thought that was what really what I wanted to do. Um, but I kind of didn't really have a sense of how to get into it. And I didn't know anyone that was a professional artist, really, or anything like that. Um, and so, and then, like, as I got older, one of the cool things about living close to London is my mum would sort of, for Christmas, take me up 
to see things and I remember distinctly going to the Barbican for the first time and distinctly going to like the festival hall and mm. my mum was into jazz and stuff like that and that's when I sort of saw like a rhythm section and um and actually and I played violin for quite a long time like in my school basically there was a little test and depending on like how musically competent you were like literally sight and scene it's probably like a sight test or mm. you know can you sing la 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 and uh, then it'd be like either the recorder which in the UK the recorder is like your entry level musical instrument and mm. then and then in our school they had a violin teacher and so then you know so there were as a group of us that were, were in, kind of said that we could have violin lessons so I learned to do that and um and yeah talking about the rhythm session I think when I'd go and see these concerts and what I loved was sort of, sort of the people standing at the back like the bass player and the drummer and kind of I don't know like I it was sort of shifted in my mindset I think this idea of like being a solo singer or something like that and frankly I probably you know not not probably I wasn't talented enough to do it um but then also when I played in an orchestra like and I used to have my individual violin lessons when I you know had done all my exams mm. and you know I put a lot of time and effort into it and stuff but I think one of the things that I found was like with that I love being in the body of an orchestra like I love being in the string section of an orchestra the idea of being a soloist would just scare the hell out of me like and I just um it wasn't my comfort zone really so I I started to realize sort of relatively early that a I probably wasn't going to pursue like um becoming a professional artist and b that what I really enjoyed was like being in a in a mass kind of ensemble so like in a choir or in an orchestra or, or um you know standing at the back in a band where you're sort of there and then you have these moments where the music just sort of goes and you just feel like you're part of this organic mm, mass mm. of people um and it's like that moment i think when you hear a choir and suddenly they're all perfectly in tune and there's just this moment of humans creating something together mm, i think mm. that's the bit that really excited me so um so then i um went to i had a teacher that basically said you know you should carry on studying what you really like doing um, rather than focusing on anything else much. So um, I studied literature and went to university and did that. And by that time, I was sort of... I'd learned to play the bass guitar a little bit and I was playing in bands and um, and doing... And then starting to like be the person... I've always been relatively well-organised and being the person who then... Um, you know, someone would book a gig and then it'd be like, how are we going to get everything there? And, um, and <laughs> who's going to do the posters? And I yeah. quite like sort of you know fiddling around photoshop and so i sort of ended up doing a little bit of that and right. and then i kind of got to that point like you you know your third year of university where you go what the hell am i going to do now like yeah. with a literature degree and and um you know the sort of you have the things that you know about you can be a journalist or an english teacher i think that was what i, I think, had someone I say to me once you could be a journalist yeah yeah we're talking in the past in the past yeah, very yeah, much yeah. so yeah um and so then I basically, by that point, and I used to go to Reading and, you know, the big Greenfield festivals and stuff mm. and um, and really enjoyed that. And so... What were some of the things you saw that really blew you away? Do you remember? I was into the Red Hot Chili Peppers mm. um, because of Flea's bass playing. Yeah. I was really into that. Um, I also, I mean, I love like Alanis Morissette and that, that sort of era, mm. you know, um, at that time. So... Yeah, I liked... And being there, like, that that was where 
everyone went to. Yeah. You know, like New Zealand does pretty well. We, yeah. when, whenever anyone says we don't get that many gigs here, yeah. I think this is horseshit. We actually do, and you know this too, because yeah. you've been responsible yeah. for helping bring some out here, but we do pretty well. Yeah. And I know myself, I've only seen a couple of shows in Aussie and a, a small handful in America. I've seen a, hundreds of amazing shows in yeah. New Zealand. But London, England, yeah. everyone goes through well, there, the right? other the other cool thing that I got to do was um, I had some friends at college who um, were into jazz music and they um, they said, oh, we should go up, we should start going up on the weekend to Ronnie Scott's in mm, London. Mm. The Jazz Club in London. First of all, I had no idea that you could just get in there. Like, I, to me, it was just sort of like... Yeah, it's almost like a music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't realise you could literally just turn up. And yeah. also, it, it at the time, was like actually relatively cheap. Mm. Um, if you went, depending on which same night the, you went. Same with the Village Vanguard in yeah, New York. Like you, and they're not massive places. Yeah, so I sort of... This place was kind of held up as, um, you know, the kind of, I don't know, mecca for yeah. jazz musicians. And, and so we used to go up on the train... And we'd go up on the train, we'd go and see a gig, and it would just, the musician would just blow your mind completely. Mm. And then you felt like so cool being in mm, that place. Mm. And we'd have like one glass of red wine each or beer or something. And then, um, and then we would go and sit in an all night cafe until the first train would go back. Um, and after a while, we cottoned on to the fact that, because uh, that was quite a long night, and by the time you sort of finally got the 7am train back to my hometown, everyone was pretty jaded. But we figured out, on the on the train route was um, Gatwick Airport, which is actually a perfect place to go and hang out in the middle of the night. Because A, it's open, like, mm. they're still, um, and it's kind of, like, warm. Mm. So we used to just be this motley group who would, <laughs> like, get the first train to Gatwick, which must be, like, 3am, and then be, like, lying down and um, on the... You know, on the benches and things, which actually there were often lots of people waiting yeah. for flights. Yeah, and things. Yeah, so yeah. you could kind of go under merging them. with the herd. Yeah. So yeah, we, we just sort of merged with that, and um, so that so that was great, and we did that we did that a fair bit. So probably in between, um, like small, my hometown didn't have a big music scene at all. But mm. it, so in between, um, you know, probably saving up my money and going to a big festival like Reading mm. or something, mm. and then um, and then yeah, these little jaunts up to up to London. And so, uh, by that point, I had a bit of festival, uh, I guess, awareness as an, as an audience goer. Mm. But I had literally no idea how to get into it. Um, and it just seemed like this impossible task. Um, and I did apply. I started looking, you know, as everyone does sort of in London, you know, for like the jun most junior runner job that you can possibly get. And I remember going into town, into London, and um, going to drop my CV off and it going on this pile about a foot high you know and I just thought there's no chance yeah there's just no chance so then what I did was just email every festival of any kind basically and say look can I just come and I'll do anything and um there was a festival in the southeast of England called Arundel which was actually pretty grand it was in like the the um in the grounds of Arundel Castle I don't know if you've ever been there but it's basically imagine British mm, Castle mm. grounds and they used to pop up a trailer stage and they would do um Oh, I think we did the BBC Big Band that year. Who else was big then? Um, those sort of uh, kind of the sort of stately home mm, gig mm, circuit. Mm. You know that. Mm -hmm. um, and they also did a Shakespeare. They used to do a Shakespeare. So I did that my, the, that first year. And basically, the um, artistic director, um, I said, "Look, I'll work for free and do anything." And so I was working in a cafe at the same time. So I went down there, and then they, I 
did box office and all that sort of stuff and by then I had a number of jobs like I've worked all the way through college and university I've worked in a music shop in a sheet music store can you imagine <laughs> um selling sheet music um for a long time which I I really you know that that was good that was actually really good learning for me around a small business mm. and mm. um just the kind of perilousness of um I guess the retail and music industry um but it also got me um got my head around the repertoire like classical repertoire a bit more um and we would sell we sold in their violins and guitars and stuff like that it was a tiny shop it was probably about as big as this room which is like ten foot by ten yeah yeah um and so i sort of had a bit of work experience and so i started doing box office and stuff um at that festival and then they they what was great about them is that they just they just sort of let us have a go at lots of different bits so i remember stage managing um, being the stage management helper on things and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever yeah, yeah. and I got a lanyard and people still tease me about my I love a lanyard you know do you have a collection uh, of them or do you hold on I to don't, them I don't I probably have a few in drawers yeah. or something because I'm, yeah. I'm uh, yeah not the uh, not the best at um, yeah getting rid of things neatly but um, no but it was it was a really cool feeling just and that kind of the free sort of it's, it was like you know when you're standing side of stage if you were playing the cool thing about that is when you were running a gig it was the same kind of excitement mm-hmm. but you know you weren't performing and then there were these awesome awesome musicians performing and then there was like the inevitable disasters I remember that there was some sort of breakdown in communication and it was something like I don't know a philharmonic orchestra and they had um, this very particular piano that was um, due to and there was miscommunication and the festival thought that it was coming with the artist the artist thought the festival mm. was providing one classic like so then <laughs> the day before you know you have to ring and try and get this um this piano there and it actually arrived whilst we had the audience in the house like in the you know in the grounds and this these two incredible men basically uh maneuvered this piano through the crowds and up onto stage and then it had you know big round of applause for the piano tuner when it got mm-hmm. tuned and all that kind of stuff so so then by then I sort of really had the bug and um but there was really inconsistent work so I went to work um for a newspaper for a little bit um and then the two leaders of that festival um started their own company a little production company and they basically would go and be a helping hand for little regional festivals around the UK so they would provide box office um technical production marketing front of house help and the great thing about that is there's loads of festivals a bit like there are in New Zealand now where there might be one or two permanent staff members mm-hmm. um, and then kind of what you need is the rest yeah, yeah and so this company which is called the company presents um was basically available to hire and they would just plug us in so it was great for me because I was young and they would just say right you're off to Salisbury now and then you're off to London to do this one and and so I probably did a number I did a number of festivals real back to back which is just so great like Mm, I couldn't mm. it was the best training because I made a lot of mistakes really quickly and learned a lot really quickly and was around these people who are really experienced and so um I have I'm very indebted to them because they they sort of gave me a go really you're almost making that sound like you're traveling with the circus <laughs> yeah you know there was elements of that like, um yeah and there's you know there's that sort of you just had to very quickly get your head around a place and how mm. they worked and the fact that you know all of these places had different audiences and but you also kind of realize that there is a commonality around how must many mm. of these things work and um but just learning 
the ropes really mm. and the great thing that I was really fortunate to be able to do was because they were so little you kind of had to be a generalist and do a little bit of everything and mm. I think that that really helped me that's one of the things I think about with um, our team now is when I was a head of marketing I used to have team members back which was fantastic they come back to the festival to do another one and I'd say well you can't do exactly the same job again you've got to do it a little bit differently or do something mm. different because I think um having that breadth of understanding really helps in a little team you know mm -hmm. to to at least know what your colleagues are working on but um so that was that was great and I loved doing that and then I sort of had landed in I was doing a festival in London and then I got um and then there was like a proper job mm -hmm. it was like a marketing mm -hmm. assistant job at um a festival in Kent and that was a bit that was a big festival in the scheme of what I was doing then and um, looked very grown up and so I applied for that and um, and that was my first sort of proper job interview and I got that job um, which I was thrilled about and the idea and it was a wonderful opportunity the idea was that the, the current head of marketing was going to train me over the year and mm. anyway she she um, actually ended up leaving really quickly and so suddenly I was thrown into being the head of marketing and, and it was one of the best things for me really because I just had to very quickly get my head around it and I just remember you know endless nights 11 o'clock in the festival office you know trying to figure out what on earth I was doing you know um but it's kind of that throwing in the deep end you learn very quickly and um have you ever read um Bob Geldof's first autobiography I say no, first I, I assume he's written a second one at some point but I haven't he um I love that book um and the thing I loved about it was I read it when I was at university and it was when I first started properly thinking about I guess from when I first started going to gigs I would look at what was happening on the side of the stage and who was running the, the sound yeah. and the lights and I was interested in all parts of it but Geldof's first memoir has several chapters towards the end about running Live Aid and <laughs> It's just phenomenal. I've got to read that. You, you, even yeah. if you just read that, that part, bit, yeah. even if you just read that part, <laughs> yeah. I would be interested to see what you thought of it. But it's that's total. Like I always, it's on my list of books I must read again because yeah. it was just he talks about, and this is of course mid eighties, so yeah. he's everything's being done by long distance phone yeah. call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's talking about in the weeks leading up to it, literally being on the end of a phone for twenty hours yeah. in a row. Yeah, and uh, just you know, negotiating, you know, arguing that Led Zeppelin needs to reform. Yeah. You know, being told, no, it's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, but what if we get you Phil Collins playing the drums? Yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. This sort of stuff, it's just absolutely unreal, yeah. you know? And, no, um, I'd love to read and, that. And it just, but it just made me think, like, that's when I realised I first kind of consciously went, these people are fucking mad. These people that put on these events that I love to go to. Yeah. <laughs> It's mental, yeah. and it's quite thankless, and no one really gets the energy involved in it, and the hassle, and the, I guess, the exhilaration, yeah. unless they've done it themselves, or they know, or they live with, or know someone that's yeah. done it. <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I'm, I definitely need to read that. That sounds. It's um, in just about every secondhand bookstore too, right, by okay. the way, for gonna, for I'm real gonna, cheap. I'm gonna take yeah. a look, but um. Yeah, and I think the um, there's something about, like, God, I remember the kind of disaster potential was just always quite huge. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
you know, or that you try and think of, you, you have to sort of train yourself in trying to think about all the things that could possibly go wrong with it, understanding that they may well. And, and then the big part of it is admin, mm. you know, like, mm. I guess that's the, like, the, the sort of, you know, depending on what you're into, yeah, not yeah. that glamorous <laughs> side of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where, you know, a lot of it is, is, um, you know, it's relationships and that, that is also, I think, one of the things that I've learned and I continue to learn, you know, that um, really, like that Bob Geldof example, a lot of that comes from his ability to persuade someone mm-hmm. and his ability to understand what the artists, where they were coming from and um, and also, you know, where the audience is at. And, and then the whole, and the thing about festivals in particular is that actually you you're just the conduit in between the artists and their audience and you know the artist management and so on but then also the funders and the partners and it's kind of just like a big web of relationships Mm. that you're kind of holding in a weird way Mm. um and so that's where the real complexity comes i think is that you don't yeah they're sort of ephemeral festivals Mm. you know really they're a collection of people coming together at one time and that's what your job is is to create the environment in which that can happen um and you know that's one of the the heartbreaking things as well when you know you have an artist that the programming team have been talking to for years and years and you know for ages and then you know you think it's there you think it's there and suddenly boom something happens and it's just overnight and you just have to have that resilience to kind of go not take mm. it personally and mm. and chalk up to experience but someone like Kate Tempest who we've got this festival I know that the team have been talking to her for a long time and so you know you've also got to have patience yeah and hope, yeah. And hope that these things will come around eventually well she's an amazing example because she has been here before yeah. but it was a few years ago and she was such a kind of well in New Zealand I think such a fringe artist at that point mm. that you know I went and sort of perform at Bodega when it existed yeah. and it, uh, it was pretty full but yeah. it's still a small yeah. venue and now she's really I mean she's still young and will do lots of amazing things but she's really at the height of her powers right yeah. now and I think she's released to her best book and album yeah so she's and there's stuff in the park you know yeah. this this back catalogue for people to check but she's incredible and you're right timing is everything yeah um, so it's worth the wait <laughs> it's worth yeah, the wait it's right? a bit like um, Sheila's programming of um, C- Cecile McLaren last mm, year mm. It's just, it, and that's um, what great artistic directors and creative directors and curators, however you call them, mm. can do is, is sort of spotting the star on the ascendant and mm. getting them just when they're, you know, just on that crest of a wave. And then you've got the legends like Sonny yeah, Rollins yeah, and yeah. who people, you know, are, are desperate to see and have yeah. that, that ability to be in the same space as them for a yeah. moment, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then there's, you know, having the... the well, I saw them when. You know, mm, there's a lot of festival mm, stories like that, I think, you know, mm, where it's sort of like, oh, I remember seeing su- such and such and um, a bit like you're saying with Kate, you know, in a small venue and mm. and then they go on to become huge things and it, it's impossible to access them. And So, yeah, that's that's part of the kind of excitement of what festivals can do, I think. So what brings you... So you know New Zealand, you've been here. Yeah. It's not quite home, but it's sort of home adjacent it's a, you know <laughs> adjacent, whatever like yeah. it's you know you have yeah. a background in coming here but what brings you out here to get connected with the festival how does that yeah. happen so you've got all this experience you've yeah. 
it's your job yeah. one way or another you've yeah. trained you've yeah. done the work yeah so um so my boyfriend at the time now my husband ollie um he and i were i was working at a festival in, um in london and ollie ollie's from a place in the channel islands called guernsey um which is a small mm. island and um and he loves to surf and he loves to be outdoors and um and he he worked at the Victorian Albert Museum in London and there's loads of it he loved about London but there's also I think it'd be fair to say lots that he mm. absolutely hated about <laughs> London um and so and then when we went to when we moved to Kent um it was it was that thing really where we were trying to find a place where we both wanted to be and so uh for Ollie he wanted to be somewhere that was um where he had access to surfing, which Kent is mm. very much not. I don't yeah, know if you yeah, know yeah. Margate. But yeah, yeah. I just remember one dismal afternoon where there was like a rumour that there might be a wave somewhere and we drove <laughs> all the way down there and I and the tide was um, the tide was out but it was just very shallow and I just remember sitting in the car, it was like horrible weather, sitting in the car on this grey day and just I loved it. and watching him like paddle out, the, the water was about to his ankle <laughs> and then like, you know, still ten minutes later it got up to his knees and his whole body just sagged and I just remember thinking oh my god I love the way you, I love the way you said there was a rumour like it was actually printed in the paper oh, a couple you know, of days well, earlier there's like surf I don't know websites where yeah, you take yeah. swells and all this stuff yeah. but it was a pipe dream frankly there was no there's no surf in Kent so um, so you know we, we sort of talked about that and, and interestingly Ollie com- com- completely coincidentally his parents Ollie lived out here when he was seven years old right. for, for about a year he lived wow. in Johnsonville what? and went to school here and um, his parents had um, had thought that they might make a life here and then decided um, on reflection after being here for a year and the, the pull of home. And mm. So Ollie, Ollie been, had never been back. So we'd sort of always had it on our plan, you know, to at least come and visit. And we were kind of at the age where the gap year thing, we were a bit old for the gap year. And, and also we had to work, you know, like we um, we needed to, to find some work. So So we decided that, we were going to, um, and it was also really important for me to try and reconnect with my family here. And I was mm. kind of at the point where I thought, if I don't go now, it's just going to get increasingly difficult for me to spend any sort of serious time here. And um, especially in the industry I was in, you know, a festival job takes up a lot of your life. And so getting time away for holidays and even, mm. even you know, and if you're coming this far. So we sort of made the decision that we would we would try and um, see what could happen over here, and, and I really wanted to reconnect with my sisters and um, my dad's new, new family as well, and um, and spend some time with my dad really. So we booked a you know return flight with the option not you know not to return, but we had to get through you know all the visa stuff as you'd expect, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I came over originally in 2008, uh, nine, and um, and I'd written feverishly to the festival, New Zealand Festival, saying, mm. "Please, can I? I'll do anything." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, the answer was <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of uh, wrote to Sue Patterson at the time, and I said, "Look, um, I'm going to be in Wellington in 2010 in February, March," and I was just like. I, it will just be weird being in a city where an arts festival is on and I'm not doing anything with it, you know, like, and, um, I just, I'd just love to come and help if I could. And, um, so I basically volunteered and, um, did, 
like a bit of you know made signs and graphic design and all that kind of stuff and a bit of this and that and was just sort of a helping hand but what was brilliant for that was number one I wasn't responsible which was amazing <laughs> being mm. in a festival where you're kind of in the team but you're not you don't really have it's not your fault <laughs> yeah. so um so I just had a blast yeah and um and I just couldn't believe also the way that the festival held artists here it, I think in in Europe um I mean this is a massive generalization but basically people are being truck and trailered around so an artist mm. comes in they do their gig they go there's no sense of them sticking around really you know whereas um Whereas in Wellington, you know, artists would come and they would stay here and then they'd go on holiday. Mm, and mm. It was because they've come so far. It's, it's a real destination. It's a totally different kind of yeah. experience. And it, to be honest, completely blew me away. Yeah. I, I was just like, this is what a festival can be like. And mm. it was, um, and that's not to, to denigrate the festivals I've been part of. And you always have those, you know, great connections with the artists when they're there. But it felt much more that peop- the artists were present here when yeah. they came. Yeah. And that they were f- fascinated about their context and um so i uh, made a big impression on me i thought that was a mm. um you know a, a kind of a way a festival should be in a way you know that that the artist can have some kind of mm. changed experience and so um so to cut a long story short we i did that and that was great fun and then obviously at the end of a festival there's the the team goes back down to a tiny um tiny crew and so um, we actually went over to Australia for a year. I got a job at a theatre company there, and so on a you know a short-term contract. And so I did that. Um, and Ollie went surfing on the Gold Coast, and, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, and was working too. And then the head of marketing job came up for the New Zealand Festival. And by that time, we'd sort of we decided with Australia it wasn't for us, and it was kind of weird being close to family but not actually here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were sort of between not quite in the right place for us and so when I applied for that job it was really like it's either this or bust we go back yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, so that no pressure but in a way it was good because it really meant that you know I really wanted the job and I, I, and having been in the festival team and having met Lisa Toomey who's the artistic mm. director and Sue and you know I'd fallen in love with Wellington by that point and was so pleased to be back you know getting to know my dad a bit better and so yeah, we um, applied for that job. Was fortunate enough to um, get that job, and then came in and Sunny Rollins, and then I met you. Yeah, about yeah. two weeks after. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Right. That's all yeah. been downhill since. Um, so, <laughs> so you do that job for how long? Seven years, maybe. Yeah. 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 And I then... did. Yeah, my first festival was twenty twelve. Mm. First New Zealand festival. Mm. Um. Yeah, so I did that, and that first festival again was just like a bit like it wasn't in my first job, you know, huge learning curve and um, getting to know the Wellington landscape and the New Zealand market, and um, yeah, just getting to know how that festival mm, worked mm. and everything. Um, but I had a great team, and um, you know the. It was just brilliant. And Anna Cameron, who was the head of programming at the time, so she and I started on the same day, pretty much. And um, oddly, we'd both been in the festival office at the 2010 festival. I was volunteering, she was freelancing. And so we'd had a few chats in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I just thought she was wonderful. She's just like one of my huge mm. heroes, Anna. And so, you know, we would be there, that first festival, you know, in Anvil House, working 
um, you know, That's right. sitting there, the two of us going, yeah. oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was a great festival that. That was um, Elisa Toomey's last festival. And then I did, um, yeah, all of Sheila McGann's yeah. um, festivals. And then, um, and by that point, um, so Sue Patterson, who has, um, was an incredibly generous person to work for in the sense that she would always give you stretch projects and say, well, you can do this, and you'd be thinking, no, I can't. And she would go, no, 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 you can do this. And um, and then sadly she um, she became really unwell and um, she was needing to sort of scale back, um, although, you know, she desperately didn't want to. And, um, and so then there was... Um, yeah, they they asked me to step up as a kind of deputy executive director. So I was just doing, I was just helping Sue really with some more of those responsibilities, um, and so I did that for a, for a year. But most of the time, I was the head of marketing. But she was like a professional mentor for you and a talent spotter, in the way that you say curators spot stars on the rise. That's what she did with you. Well. Um, you don't have to say it. I've just said it, so I, you know, I'm not trying to she, make you feel um, uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, she, she was like that with many, many people. Sure. I have to say, um, and the she, I think I've said this before, but you know, she sort of believed in you more than you believe in yourself. That's one of the things that I sort of try and think about, and um, and yeah, she was great. She was great fun as well, Simon. Like she was just, mm. she had a wicked sense of humour, and she just. She loved art so much, and it was just infectious the way she was, you know. And um, but yeah, she absolutely. I mean, she gave me loads of stuff to do, and um, she she would she would be very um, she was pretty bloody minded. I mean, she'd just say, "No, I think this is this is what you should do." And then um, I mean, obviously for the um, executive director role, there was you know full international search and you know mm. I had to go through goodness knows how many um interviews it was a very 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 rigorous process and um I have to say I was very surprised when I got the job but um but you know she at that point you know she she wasn't well and and she I think by the time by the time she had decided she was going to step away from the festival at that stage she was kind of like right it's up to you now you're on your own and <laughs> and I knew that you know, she would always um, be there um, in person when I first started uh, back at the festival, and then um, you know, in spirit. But um, no, she she and she taught me a lot, and she would talk about you know the stories of her you know career as well, which was always you know great stories number one, but also you know mm. fascinating learnings the whole time. And um, so I think you know, and Anna Cameron now is. Uh, executive director at Auckland Theatre Company and um, you know Sue and for many many people you know Sue was that person who would just kind of just give you a little chivvy along the whole time mm, mm. so it was great well I'm uh, you know I'm thinking about it now just talking to you I mean I've been covering the festival in some way or other since 2002 and I feel like a lot's changed in the last few years in terms of not just the style of it but of, of the delivery of it but I, I, I feel like when I met you and you hooked me up with that Sonny Rollins interview and, and then meeting Sheila and, and now Marnie and there's obviously so many great people over the years that have been involved with it but I feel like you guys have been interested in getting to know the people that are going to 
help plug the festival and promote it, not just... When I first started doing the festival, we had to feel grateful that we were even allowed to cover it. And it's like actually covering it is, help, is actually helping the festival. And we were sort of made... I used to go to these, not the program launch, but these sort of secret media unveilings, because that's back when there was, you know, print newspapers and radio right, stations right. that meant something. Mm. And you were made to feel like you'd won the lottery being there, and that's quite a strange feeling. I feel like now that dynamic has changed, and it's far more collaborative in your intentions and approach. Mm. Well, I think... Um Certainly my experience in working with, um, first of all, you know, arts reviewers and journalists are um, a precious breed, <laughs> you know, uh, um, to, it's, you know, having, having people who have the knowledge and the interest um, and the ability to contextualise an artist to a readership or listenership, you know, is, mm. is really vital. And I am also a big believer in... Um, there's nothing more powerful than someone saying something else for you. Like, it's very hard for the festival to say, you know, we can say this mm. this artist is, is great and, you know, trust us. Um, and there's a lot of trust there, you know. Sure. And, that, and I say that um, yeah, because in deep recognition yeah, yeah, of yeah. Um, all the people that have gone, gone it's before Because it's a proud, recognised brand. Yeah, and that's one of the real super scary things about having this job <laughs> is like, oh, my God, what a responsibility, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, of the festivals of past. And, you know, like, I talk to a lot of our audiences all the time and they all can tell me the events that they remember, mm. the ones that they loved, the ones that they hated, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that is definitely the responsibility I know uh, Marnie and I feel uh, very keenly. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that we're thinking about the whole time, and that's why we've kind of started um article as well, mm, mm. a little digital mm. magazine we do, which is, you know, you, you do need to have, first of all, you need to have someone with knowledge writing about the artists. You, mm, you mm, need to mm. have... Um, people who have the context in which the artists are operating, and who can also, um, you know, bring something. So it gives the artist, it gives the audience another way in. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other side of it is that the often I think journalists come at things from a different way than you would. I mean, um, than the festival might. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So um, that's. That adds a whole other layer of richness, really, into it. Well, it's 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 increasingly important, it seems. To you touched on this to to be a generalist, mm. but one thing a generalist needs to be very good at is spotting when they need someone or something specific yeah. <laughs> to do the work for them, right? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, definitely. And so, um, like for article, we um, Guy Somerset, mm. who was the culture editor for mm. Listener, mm. he's another one who I went and had a cup of tea with, and. Got to know he him was the bit. books books editor but, yeah. for the Dominion Post back when they used to have amazing award-winning book review pages. Right, yeah, right. Before yeah. that, and, yeah. um, and Guy um, also worked for the Metro newspaper in London, mm, London mm. like I think when it's when it first sort of came out. So we had a, a chat and um, and connected. And and after he left the Listener, I was saying I was trying to convince him to come and work for us as our publications mm. editor. Um, a fact which he oh yeah I don't know if he. Uh, how much he, he thanks me for that but he did a tremendous job that was mm. in 2016 but you know I was he and I were having a chat and I was just saying you know the issue is that there's less and less places for the preview coverage to be mm. um, to be carried um, 
you know, at that point, the print media was really scaling back at their arts coverage and, um, you know, things were being carried digitally, but mm. they kind of got hidden. You know, they kind of get lost in a big website, you know, often. So um, so I sort of said, well, you know, maybe we should find a way to do it ourselves. But I was really sure that I didn't want it to be like a marketing thing because mm. I just thought that would be really lame and not mm. credible. Mm. So I said, well, look, you're a great editor. Like, you you come up with this idea and that, that and sort of article was born from that and we put a little bit of budget aside and we would commission um, writers to write about both artists in the programme but also just more broadly about arts in general and um, and then also to do a little email where it was kind of like one commission piece and then collect just interesting mm. shit from the web basically mm-hmm. arts content and the, that's the other thing is that like there's great stuff great stuff being written elsewhere and so then when we when we sat down and thought about it we were like well what does our subscribers like people who sign up to our email list or who follow us on social like what do they want to know about and it's basically well they, they like the festival because they're really into the arts so rather than trying to generate everything ourselves let's just collect it for them in a really concise yeah. way yeah, and yeah. just go here's some stuff we think you might be interested in and um and it and it's been great and i think that um you know he he really gave it a sort of style and i love the way i just love the way that journalists come at things as well they just it often has yeah. a kind of it has a kind of wit i really enjoy that sort mm, of witty mm. writing and um and a craft yeah. basically like good writing and good kind of seeing a good angle um i remember he got me to do um a piece for the jazz festival a couple of years ago where it was there were three different events with three different drummers and i'm always yeah pardon the obvious pun but i'm always banging on about drummers on facebook and stuff posting uh, you know articles and sharing clips and so he just rang me and said you're the person i want to go and interview these three drummers two visiting american ones and then ant donaldson a local hero yeah and they weren't performing together yeah they were doing three separate shows but he's like just get some some words from all of them and put together a story about why these are three completely different drummers doing cool things and so that was a really fun thing to do yes yeah. just one example exactly and i yeah. think that that's the kind of thing that yeah. uh, an editor can do where yeah. they can think of a weird way into something a yeah. different way into something and i I can't say for sure, but I suspect, I know for sure, I wouldn't have come up with that Mm. as a marketing manager, you know, like... Well, um, Guy's Guy's given me two commissions when he was at The Listener. Yeah. He rang me and said, "Um, I've got an interview and it's tomorrow morning, um, but it's with Jeff Beck. And it's just like, (laughs) yes. And he's like, he's like, and he goes, the editor wants, he goes... I've got to say, it was. I remember this vividly. He goes, this was 2008, I think. Mm. He, but I remember vividly what he said. He goes, uh, I, frankly, I think the editor's mad, but she's a massive Jeff Beck fan and she wants 3,000 words. Um, I feel like you're the person. And I was just like, I've been waiting my whole life to write 3,000 <laughs> words about Jeff Beck. It was that's hilarious, amazing. you know. So oh, well. that's good knowledge on his part, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, well, well done, Guy. <laughs> and then the cool thing about that as well is that, you know, I thought, well, if we're spending a bit of money on... Um, you know, commissioning arts writers, that's a good thing. Mm, um, mm. And it certainly added a whole other layer of kind of richness to mm. what we're able to um, put out there. And, and actually, we sort of started to clock, well, actually, we've got a pretty big distribution. Like, if you look mm, at it in media mm. sense, like, you know, by the time you add up all of our email subscribers, I mean, yeah. it's tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And we get great open rates, you know, in all yeah. the industry parlance, you yeah. know, like something over 50% and great click-throughs and engagement. We had this brilliant woman who emailed and said, 
with the article email she said could we compile them all to her for her in a printed so she could sit and watch them did you say yes i'll get right and on she that said, yeah, i'll yeah. get right well, on that actually we do pride ourselves on doing odd things yeah. like that like there's um this is a heather o'carroll yeah. story so um there was a chap that rang up wanting the jazz festival wanting a very specific um he wanted to be able to basically decide his map around how he was going to walk around and get to each of the gigs. and mm. So it involved like a photocopier and uh, drawing on it and scanning it in. But it's always good when you get those emails where they're like, wow, you've gone above the, above and beyond. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, and the team are really good at that, you know, as much as we can. I think, mm. And it is, those, it is those sort of special things. If you do that, it goes yards. You know, mm. Even if you get complaints, mm. you know, and people aren't happy. And I try and ring as many of them as I can. And, um, and like... And I think that also comes from... I used to do the box office and and also probably from working in sales and being a waitress and all that stuff is that you kind of... You can generally talk people around if you just listen to them, you know, and yeah, you people hear what they... Ju- people just want to be heard, don't they? They generally. do just want to be heard. Yeah. They do just want to be heard. And There's, I think, I and think that... The one of, that gets the bad rap for just coming in like a lunatic and yeah. staying like a lunatic, that's the horror story. Yeah. But that's really rare really rare and yeah. I think that most people just want to be most people just want to be heard and I think that and that's one of the things that um, if I was going to jump on a soapbox for a moment is one of the things that I feel is starting to get lost in the kind of arts experience space where there's a kind of you know corporatization of what a gig experience is and mm. I think we sort of seem to have lost the humanity in it somehow and, and that I think that's one of the things that I really admire about companies where you know the person who answers the phone has a relationship with the subscriber or you know um those kind of the it's the regulars but i Mm, guess it's mm. that um and i think i think actually that's what people are craving now so finding i think as a sector we need to in wellington particularly because i think there's a huge opportunity in that we need to sort of find that the way that those experiences can feel like a artistic experience and a um as opposed to a kind of transactional one this segues rather nicely to this decision by the festival to bring in some guest curators yeah yeah so um we we how did that happen how did it happen well we had a number of conversations there have been a lot of conversations at board level and mm. um for a number of years i guess about the the kind of long-term um evolution of the festival and i think one of the great things about the festival board is that they're kind of always challenging the management to be like well what happens in the next 10 years and i think that's a really fascinating conversation for mm. festivals in general any organization i guess and um and then there had been some discussion about whether the festival stayed biannual whether it went annual um, but really, though, the core of all this is that when the festival started in 1986, there was very little else <laughs> happening. I wasn't here, as yeah. I, but as I understand it, as people tell me, um, the festival was the big arts thing, um, certainly in Wellington, if not in the country. And mm. um, and there, of course, we're in an environment now which, where there's a huge amount more in the ecosystem. There's way more international touring work, um, in, international artist touring year round. Um, each of the regions have festivals that have popped up in those spaces which I'm mm. hugely supportive of I think that it's great that as far as I'm concerned more festivals the better you know like yeah, they're yeah. great for a community and a festival should 
be grounded in their community as well mm. I think so um so that's terrific but what it means for the festival like for the New Zealand festival the arts is I think festivals have got to be wise to their context like if you kind of batten down the hatches and go well this is what we're like and refuse to to evolve and change and I think um to the to the credit of the people going before us the festival has adapted and shifted over the years as well but one of the things that we began to talk about was distinctiveness and I think if you if you're going to be responsible in an ecosystem you need to be thinking about well how are we adding value that is not being bought elsewhere like you don't want to really repeat stuff and then you because then you get into a competitive mindset essentially mm, mm. so uh, I'm interested in like how do you how do you add value? How do you bring something different that doesn't already exist? Because that's when people will appreciate you, you know, <laughs> because you're doing something that isn't, uh, you're providing something, that, some value mm. that isn't already in existence. So we started to um, to think about that. And then I guess there's this other conversation, which is around the idea of many voices or multiple voices. And, and actually media is a good place to come back to in this space because, you know, back in the day, there'd be a TV in the corner you'd have your one channel on and that would be mm. who you heard. And now there's just this multitude of channels and, um, you know, the ability for people to have their say is um, is much greater. And I think that, um, first and foremost, we wanted to be a, a festival that artists really want to come to. And, um, and so we felt that the experiment of, of offering up a, a curatorship or an opportunity for an artist to take a role as a guest curator is a different kind of experience for them and that's certainly what how what Laurie Anderson has reflected back to us in her conversations mm. with Marnie is that you know she she likes to be able to bring as she puts it this crazy array of stuff um, but also she can she can be with us for longer she's here for over a week she can really have a deeper connection than she would if she was simply presenting a presenting a show mm. so we like the idea of um there being a opportunity for artists to say to have a say about what kind of festival they think they should be to have a say on um what artists inspire them um and he's, also for the audience the he's just warming up for laurie anderson's yeah, dog yeah. concert, dog concert. Yeah, yeah. um and the cool thing about it is that I think then to back to the distinctiveness point is that, you know, working with uh, Lemmy Ponifacio and Laurie Anderson and Brett McKenzie mm. has shaped a very different festival than we would have had mm. if we hadn't have worked with them. And they have, you know, their own interests, they have connections, they have a different way of approaching a festival than we might traditionally. And so the real opportunity and excitement in it is that through through them, you, um, the audience gets a really distinct experience and so one of the, on the practical basis what we have this festival compared to the 2018 festival is I think it's nearly double the amount of works that are simply in Wellington for that one moment and if you're not there to experience them mm -hmm. they're gone you know yeah um, and I think that that is kind of what we're trying to lean into is that in the context of the, the arts and the festivals ecosystem in New Zealand what what's the work that we can bring and for us it's the the work that is going to um be a very special experience for the audience and they wouldn't be able to see it any other time mm. Mm. and that's that it's it's kind of like uh, you were talking about um getting someone else to spread the word for you and it coming from someone else rather than you just saying things are great 
with the guest curators it's kind of like a double vote you know in a way it's sort of like I'll, I'll pluck one thing as an example Nadia Reid mm. fantastic mm. amazing performer mm. great songwriter she could have been on the bill any any year again obviously her stars continuing to rise but here she's sort of getting the tick from Brett McKenzie so yeah. his fans and followers go oh I don't know her but I generally like what he does and what he's about so I'm going to go and see her but also it's under the, still under the banner of the festival so it's a festival show and you know so there's Nadia Reid fans there's festival fans and I guess there's Brett McKenzie fans mm. and obviously there's a Venn diagram to be constructed there <laughs> yeah. but yeah so it's just it's that sort of thing too isn't it that yeah and I think it's like you're saying about having arts writers you know, mm. hearing Brett talk about why he he likes those artists mm. I think is genuinely interesting. You yeah, know, that's I, right. It further informs yeah. your understanding of who he is and yeah. what goes into his art and artistic process. Yeah, and yeah. it's like Lemmy um, is creating a conference mm. in the first week of the festival um, called Talanoa Mo, and uh, we've never had a conference in the festival before, and um, it was what he wanted to do. And the, it, he has gathered this most extraordinary array of people to come and be part of that two-day conference uh, two-day gathering which will be in Papa, and I think one of the really fascinating things about that is a hearing from those people but also why he you know why he mm. thought that person should be in the room and um yeah I just think it it's layers of story basically isn't it, it's, mm. it and it's that that sense of the human the humanness to it all which is art is subjective mm people's tastes are subjective and different I mm. think it's okay that's okay that people's you know, mm. choice and taste are different um, some people have strong opinions and that's okay too you know and so I think a festival when it's working really well should be a you know a gathering point to it needs to instill some sort of sense of if it sparks a great conversation then I think that it's done the right thing then I think it's succeeded like if the we talk a little bit about sort of fighting indifference and I think that one of the hard things in a you know really busy world and people's busy lives is that um, you know how do we how do we make the the work of these extraordinary artists something that people you know really give a shit about and want mm, to engage mm. with um, and it, it's not just something that passes them by I guess mm. and so um, but yeah fingers crossed it's going well so far yeah well uh, you know I've always said as a writer and also just as a consumer of product and of other people's reviews the worst thing I can have to do or read is the sort of two and a half three star review that that essentially is a bit of indifference that's like this is this was okay it was mm. neither good you know I almost want to I want to hear about something possibly failing mm. that that was curious or interesting over something that just ran sm smoothly but was bland and I obviously want to hear about and see something that's absolutely amazing that's first and foremost mm. but I sort of think you know you talk about how yeah people remember some of the shows that have gone to the festival particularly theatre and multimedia shows that have really challenged audiences mm where there's been walkouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're memorable. Yeah, and I think I think that people um often actually you can have an experience which at the time was particularly confronting. Mm. But I also talk to people who kind of 
reflect on that years later and say how great it was, you know, in that yeah, in yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, and again, I think this comes down to the fact of like what what the job is for the New Zealand Festival of the Arts, and it it there has to be work in there that feels uncomfortable in the sense that it might it may it may be unfamiliar. Mm, mm. And I think that sense of um, being okay with with encountering a sense of unfamiliarity. I think we're much more open to that through other media, like television, like you'd probably, and through um, film. And of course that has to do with the fact that you're making a commitment and a ticket sale. Mm. And so, you know, you've, you've got to weigh up that risk for sure. And that's something we re- we're really respectful of. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's there's been great art experience I've had where at the time, you know, there actually I'll give you a really good example which is which is a mo work that Lemmy did up at Parliament um, and uh, it wasn't particularly challenging in any, in any way but what was really weird about it is it was in a public public space outside of Parliament and the beginning of it was incredibly slow and quiet and so we'd all been standing around this hustle and bustle and then there was suddenly this moment where clearly the work was starting and everything happened with such quietness and it was so that it's almost like everyone started to sort of feel a little bit like giggling because mm. it was that sort of weirdness of like oh my god there's just hundreds of people all standing here being a bit quiet not knowing what's going on and and then it was and then it went on like that for some time and I started to notice in myself I was like god you know I feel like checking my phone you know like all that stuff that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just like what you do all the time because yeah, yeah. you're like constantly in flow and motion you're constantly checking and you know busy 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 and then having something where you're like I just have to sit in this fact that I just need to sit and watch this now and it really made me notice my own physical self you know like in that Mm. I was Mm. I had to just be be in it you know and I think that's um one of the amazing things and um people who know me know that I bang on about this sort of stuff around well-being but I think that that's one of the things we've kind of forgotten about art is that it's actually about it can shift who you it, it can be that much needed time to kind of notice stuff about yourself slow you down slow you down and I think that um, particularly now particularly now as everything is just so frenetic and so busy and all of that stuff I think having those moments where you can um it's like listening to music, you know. Mm-hmm. Often you will suddenly find your brain has gone on this massive journey of like, you know, and the music has enabled you to do that because sometimes something, you know, pings in memory and then you ha- you kind of unearth these recollections, it's something you just hadn't thought about for years and then suddenly you're right back in that moment. And I think all of that additional, all of that stuff that art does mm-hmm. is kind of amazing and sort of doesn't seem to get much of a look in in the... A lot of the conversations about what arts experiences are and can be, and probably I think the danger is that it all sounds a bit wanky. And but you, I think the challenge for us as an industry is like, how do we make that a credible thing? Yeah, 
Yeah. Do you have any ideas? Uh, <laughs> no, man. If you're coming to me for ideas, you have completely and utterly... <laughs> if, you, if you thought that's what this was, <laughs> you, then you have completely and utterly misinterpreted why I invited you round here and you've got far bigger problems in your life than you're letting on. It's all been seamless until no, now. No. And but you this know what is I mean? About, about I music in particular. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, I'll take classical music, for yeah. example. I think it's very strange that classical music is marketed as a name of a composer and a number and a bunch of numbers mm. and a bunch of words that mm. about one percent of the people people understand yeah you know agree um why isn't it marketed as 90 minutes of transcendent yes. phone free bliss yes. yeah and it kind of is but that's normally like the second paragraph yeah. after you've got who the composer yes. is and all that yes. kind of stuff yeah yeah and so like one of my big if i could find the time i'd love to do an experiment around that of like mm. how can we completely reframe how art well it's are. like jazz isn't it the, yeah the, the, there are these trigger words yeah for people that they just you know they think they wouldn't like my father-in-law didn't want to go to at the jazz festival didn't want to go to roger fox because he's like i don't like jazz but he did want to see ness and dorma perform yeah 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 so he went and then he realized that he actually quite liked jazz. Yeah. It was just the idea of jazz <laughs> freaked him totally. out or something. And and obviously big band music is its own thing that yeah. some people love and and love jazz and some people don't like it that love other yeah. jazz, rah, rah, rah. But he's since, you know, I've played him bunches of things on record afterwards and he's like, oh, I like this. Yeah. I like this. And it's like, congratulations, you're actually a jazz fan. You, yeah. know, you just didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. And But what I do like is when I put on a classical record or whatever uh some film score he will say because I, I don't want to throw him under the bus i want to redeem him here because yeah, yeah. He, he will say he'll ask what it is and i'll say you know i'll say whatever it is and then he'll go this is soul music to me and yeah. i love i love his use of that word yeah because it, you know that's how it speaks to him yeah and and where it's targeting yeah, and I think that's a wonderful. And I've heard him use that talking about like an Ennio Morricone film score yeah. or just a bog standard rendition of the Four Seasons. You know, yeah. I wanted to ask you when you were talking about um, selling film, uh, selling music, sheet music. Mm. Are there like greatest hits, big sellers like yeah. the Four Seasons? Yeah, you know, is it is it as cliche yeah. as that? It is. It is. Yeah. I mean. Uh, we sold a lot of music for um, beginners, mm, you know, like, mm, so mm. Um, the, our key... Uh, but our you key have to keep, like, Vivaldi well-stocked and absolutely. Beethoven's Ninth yeah, and absolutely. so forth well-stocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so and, funny. And um, yeah. lots of the kind of, you yeah. know, air on a G-string. Yeah, popular. yeah, 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 of course. Um, and those those kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah, you would, absolutely. And I, that was my responsibility was a stock take. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I also... Uh, it, I always thought it would, it would, um, it would help me in my. I did. I never really ventured into the programming side of festivals. I did a little bit in in, um, Canterbury. I was fortunate enough that um, we were a tiny team and we got to do a bit of stuff. And I was kind of like the young one in the office. And and um, I had a few um, few successes in terms of just. I was really into Laura Marling and um, that kind of mm. new folk scene at the mm. time. And um, there was an artist called Johnny Flint. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm. But, um, I actually encountered him the first. He was an actor, but he's got this beautiful voice. And um, he was one of the... He was one that I sort of just, you know, found his 
email address and emailed him mm. and got him to come and play. And um, and there, I knew there was a folk scene in Canterbury. And so um, that was great because I think I had the first sellout gig of the festival that mm. year and I was very, very proud of that. And Jose Gonzalez. So I booked him just before that. Do you remember that? Um, the bouncing the heartbeats, ball, bouncing yeah. balls. And then, I mean, it, we must played, have sold 2,000 tickets. He but. played the Opera House here yeah. on that, around, right around that yeah. time. Yeah. It was mental how popular that was. Yeah, it yeah. was huge. It yeah. was huge. So um, so I did a little bit of that. But um, I always thought, you know, God, if I could just take my you know entrepreneurial knowledge of mm. like the best-selling um, mm. sheet music and put that into a, a program, then um, I we do very well. But actually, I um, used to know um, a chap who worked for Classic FM, which is a yeah. kind of yeah. commercial classical radio station in the UK, and yeah. and um, I think they they literally used to basically figure out what were the most requested classical tunes from that, mm. and then work with someone and put the gigs on it was right. pretty savvy yeah 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 <laughs> pretty savvy business move I mean everything you were talking about about slowing down and not checking your phone and yeah. just being in the moment the whole time you were talking about that I was just thinking about apart from listening to you of course I was thinking <laughs> opening night of the festival um Gretzky's third yeah. symphony yeah so I've already bought my tickets for it yeah that's me, you know. Yeah. There's no way I'm gonna wait and see if I can review that. I have to have tickets to that. Yeah. I have to go to that. Yeah. So we've bought them, and I just kind of remember that speaks to exactly that experience. Yeah. And if I can borrow my father-in-law's phrase, that's soul music to me because I think that's kind of when I first really properly engaged with some form of classical music and went, oh, you don't have to be like an instrument. You know, you don't have to have your grades in violin or piano to understand yeah. this. Because I was never raised on any kind of classical music. Yeah. It was all film score stuff for me. Yeah. But I remember hearing that in the early 90s when I was at high school. And it was everywhere again for a mm. moment. But I just formed my own connection with it. Yeah. And it's um, astounding. I yeah. can't wait to... No, I can't wait either. I can't wait to be part of that. Yeah. Um, and if anyone's listening and and wants a, a primer, there's obviously loads of examples, but there's a new new version, fairly new version with um, uh, the woman from Portishead singing it. Which do you know wow. that? Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, fantastic. I yeah, think, I think Marnie might have sent that round. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, I I'm the same. I can't wait for that. And I think um, they're the they that will be one of the very the many, I hope, memorable moments in the, mm. in the festival. But what a way to start. And yeah. it launches with uh, the, I guess, a mission statement tied to what you're just talking around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's Lemmy's um, vision for that event, is that it will um, it'll be music, but it will feel more like ceremony in mm. a way. Well, um, it has think... a, a reflective contemplation that uh, any one person can bring to it, but um, the timing of staging it in the way it's mm. being sort of presented yeah we'll have a communal effect for people yeah. being part of that audience to witness yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so and um, and I think those that part of what art does I think is something that is um, yeah really of interest to me and I think that if we can find it's funny I, I don't know if you um, I've got this beautiful book um, by this philosopher who's called Alain de Botton, which makes mm, this, this mm. like all a big ruse to make myself sound really smart. By the way, <laughs> I don't often read the word yeah, philosoph yeah. work of philosophers, but um, uh, and uh, he did this uh, exhibition at the Rice Museum called Art 
is therapy. Um, and effectively, he took... Um, there was a collection at the Rice Museum and he reframed the exhibition. The kind of curatorial mode that he took was um, that it that art has a therapeutic effect mm. on you. Mm. So rather than sort of going, well, these are this such and such school and this is essentially like this is early early 18th century art is on this floor it was more about this is art that makes you believe there is hope and this is art that helps you deal with grief and and I think that's imagine a festival like mm. rather than your usual genres imagine if it was sort of like around mm. that idea of um, you know what what is the what are all the very human ways that art affects you? And I think um, that's when you think of the um, yeah. I guess the kind of sometimes it's the narrow way that we frame things. I it think. sounds like you've got the jump on the twenty twenty two. No, no. Programming I think there's already. Change, there's enough change <laughs> happening right now, but um, but it is something that you know really interests me, and we you know we we sort of talk about not yeah. not really at the festival, but I think more. More broadly, it's um, the the. I mean, if you just look at the huge, you know, huge growth of the well-being industry, mm. you know, because mm. basically people have, um, you know, having this kind of. I guess one way of looking at it is that like a c- consumerism doesn't necessarily make anyone feel better about things, mm. um, and so what are the things that do? And I think that that's kind of um, potentially a, a role that is underlooked. There is a slick little irony there, though, that the well-being industry is a form of consumerism in and of itself. Yeah, now. quite right, quite yeah. right, quite right. doesn't yeah. mean that you have to sign up to that. No, 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 but absolutely. This is the great trick of marketing, isn't it, is that it looks for things that aren't a market and makes them a market. Well, and I guess the, the side of that is that people are looking for things that help them get through life yeah yeah no 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 totally um so speaking of that are you bereft when the festival finishes are you elated first do you get a chance to be either i mean you're obviously exhausted but (laughs) and when i say you i'm talking about your team really yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what is the feeling when it when it finishes well it's always a little bit it's always a little bit bittersweet i Mm. think um the so now in case people who are listening don't no, so now we, our little team is is actually called Tarfiti now, mm. and we we have a single board, and and then Tarfiti runs um, New Zealand Festival of the Arts, the Wellington Jazz Festival, Lexus Songquest, and this new event, second unit that we mm. um, have begun a pilot of this year, mm. and so really we kind of don't stop. So we're already programming for jazz next yes. year. We're working really hard on what we're going to be doing for second stuff um next year and so what what i'm ultimately there'll be a, a little bit of a rest but um we probably we were just looking at the dates we're probably going to announce our jazz festival you know mere weeks or something yeah. after the main one yeah so actually it's a really good point around how we make it sustainable as a year round um and that's certainly top of my mind of mm. um it's the kind of the old festival way is that you you know, you do a big festival and then everyone goes away and has a big sleep. Um, but, of course, the more you do outside of that, then um, the harder that is. So mm. so making sure that we keep things reasonable and so people don't get 
strung out is a yeah. is an important thing to do. Yeah. Um, but but in terms of how you feel, I think um, there's always this you know moment of just. I think there's always a moment of reflection, and you just think about all the things that you've seen, and the kind of, um, and then we always do a good debrief and mm. have a have a, a think about what we'd do differently, and and then to be honest, there's a lot of just tying up of loose ends, and and then you're on to the next thing. But that, what I love about festival is the chance to to start again. Yeah, you know, that you do have this sense of renewal, and I think that's one of the reasons that I've never been drawn to a venue gig or you know venue mm, job mm, mm. um i think i'm a festival person through and through because mm. i like that sense of you get to start you're, fresh you're like kind of party planners and i wonder if you i mean i see you and other members of the team at the events but do you get to go like are you yeah. really there like because this program is like the invite to the party yeah yeah and the reviews and the social media comments and posts and photographs and the feedback loop is the kind of giant big tick at the end of it yeah and everything that's happening is a series of yeah parties yeah i mean i i i go to a lot um mm. and between the team with marnie our creative director mm. and then the head of departments you know we'll make sure that someone's at everything you know um mm-hmm. and that's important as well because you kind of need to be there to go okay how's this going a lot of the stuff you kind of have to feel in the room as well i think mm-hmm. you know the alchemy of whether an audience is getting it and, totally um so there's that also um you know there's a lot of work to be done in around the festival we have big big group of um stakeholders sponsors mm-hmm. donors so like half the team's looking after the artists mm-hmm. half the team's looking after the audience and all <laughs> of our um you know sponsors and funders and and making sure that they are um you know enjoying themselves and happy mm. and um, being well taken care of and I think that kind of servicing side of it is mm. something that we kind of really pride ourselves on and that's certainly some of the feedback that we have from things like sponsors who've stuck around for 10-20 years it's not easy mm. to, to get there and so you know you, you want to kind of go the extra mile so yeah it's pretty full on and then um, and then we yeah have a wee rest and then launch into jazz and on we so go when do you apart from your micro breaks and your consciousness around well-being for yourself um you have a a child and a a partner husband when do you um get a break from this christmas time is your break i imagine christmas is really good yeah Yeah, because it is genuinely the only time that you don't get emails Mm. um and i mean if i'm being completely honest i think having a child has really forced my hand on the issue because my um in every one of my performance reviews, my area for improvement was work-life balance. So um, I was a dreadful workaholic um, and still probably would be if it wasn't for the fact that you just reprioritise and, you know, there's Bess at home and I have to be there for her and that's more important to me and, you know, that sort of stuff too. So it's a bit of a balancing act. Um, so certainly, actually, that has that has meant that I'm not in the office till 10 or 11 at night, which I probably would have been. Um, I was going to say, because I, I, so. I see you at the um, launch, and you, you know, that's that's kind of a glamour moment for you. And your <laughs> no, but it is though, right? In your role, that's a, well, when it's a glamour moment, yeah. like it's a, it's that's a big payoff that you get up and you do the introduction, you do the speech, and you you do it very well. But 
you know, you, you, you're frocked up and you're smiling and, and saying hello to everyone. But I've seen you in the office on weekends and your trackies, you know, like, so it's <laughs> yep. not, you know. It's not all glamour, Simon. No, 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 no absolutely not, no. And, um, I, I mean, go, yeah, speaking at Parliament and stuff, I mean, that's, I just, I sort of can't believe I found myself in this situation, really. Mm. Um, it's quite, yeah, quite extraordinary. But uh, I tell you, this time I just, I just, felt so proud of the team and you know um I came back for the 2018 festival I was still you know involved as executive director but mm. I came back um I'd had my daughter she came up when she was five months and then she was really seriously ill and so that year honestly was a blur you know I I um it just was one of those you know what it's like when you've got a, a really little baby and a, a big job and everything um and so this time though I sort of feel like huh you know slightly there's always perilous moments mm. and um I don't want to sort of court hubris or, or mm. um the wrath of the the gods but um you know I I was um just very proud of them and what they had done and um and really excited to share what these artists have to say and and some great work in the programme. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that... Um, you know, one of the things that you sort of reflect on, it's really good to have those milestones, actually. Because mm. when I was talking to the team before we did the launch, one of the things that... Um, and I'll just say as a caveat to this, my dad is really obsessed by Everest stories. <clears throat> and so I use an Everest analogy, which I was sort of immediate, I thought it was like the cheesiest thing to say. But it was kind of like getting to base camp the launch, where like, mm-hmm. it feels that sometimes you're not kind of going to get there, you know. And then you get to base camp and you do need to take a breather and go, bloody hell, that's a good view on the way back, you know. <laughs> and um, Because it's such a juggling act. And, um, you know, you, and things shifted. And, you know, we had some big challenges this year. The St. James, we found out mm. after we'd sort of started programming that St. James was off. And so, I mean, that, that was a third of our tickets gone, mm. you know. And it's like mm. trying to put an All Blacks test in the stadium and then be told that a third of the seats aren't available. You know, it's just the whole thing through that into kind of... Uh, and so we had to reshape what we were doing and think again. And, I mean, we were fortunate in that we sort of tried to also think quite carefully about the guest curator so you know two musicians and so the Michael Fowler Centre is going to be packed this festival and um, lots lots of strong music in the programme I think mm. um, and so just you just have to be able to adapt and be able to sort of just roll with the punches basically and um, and keep keep chugging on but um, but yeah no it's certainly the the um, like it's like anything you know like the life of an artist isn't really glamorous in lots of ways you know it's yeah, yeah, bloody yeah, hard work yeah. and I think particularly for artists in New Zealand um, so um, and you know I would say that in the festival team we're privileged to be a well resourced organisation and you know I, I don't take that for granted and um, so I think the important thing is yeah just remembering why we're there we've got mm. a job to do and um Back to the curators, two New Zealand curators, very well known with international following and uh, reputation and so forth, Um, but one international curator, um, 
why an international curator and how you know what was the list looking like in terms of yeah you know, how do you how do you arrive at I mean fantastic choice but how do you <laughs> arrive at Laurie Anderson and and a, particularly an international artist yeah well um the I guess the festival has always been a combination of international artists and mm. and um, New Zealand work and I think that we in, in thinking about guest curators, we want to keep true to that in the sense that the, you know, the intention is that there'll always be a mix. And we try not to be too restrictive on ourselves either, you know, to sort of go, well, let's get a really interesting person. And, um, uh, and the, there was this wonderful synergy in the fact that Laurie had been at the first ever festival in 1986. And then the rest really was up to Marnie Carmelita, so I can take no credit for it at all. She mm. um, already had a bit of a relationship there from her, her previous um, previous life. And um, and so the other thing is that Laurie had, um, had curated or been involved in um, things as an artist where she'd she'd taken a role like that, so mm. we felt like it wouldn't be so unfamiliar that it would. Yeah, be you're not you're not making her do a brand new thing. Yeah, and She's... we didn't have a massive run up either because. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time we'd finished the 2018 festival, we, you know, we obviously had these plans in place. Mm. But the first year was always—it was always going to be quite, you know, hairy to mm. get to get everything locked down. And so, um, so yeah, lots of um, conversations that um, Marnie had with Laurie, and I think she—we um, were amazed that she was so said keen yes, yeah. and um, said said yes emphatically because it's come across in the marketing already absolutely and yeah. Um, yeah and you should yeah for sure talk to Marnie about it because um, mm. I think they had some really fascinating conversations and that's one of the things that um, Marnie but you know the artistic directors from previous festivals um, shouldn't be underestimated that what they're doing is building relationships understanding an artist and mm. um, uh, so you know hats off to them but yeah my, we, we were we were really delighted and I think that um it's what's been incredible to realise is that she obviously had her kind of like first layer of fans who are the people that were really into mm. O Superman at that time and then but then there's like a younger generation of musicians who just, you know, revere her as mm. well, which was sort of a bit unexpected for us. So we've been just yeah, really delighted about about, about the um but and she's working with some New Zealand musicians mm. um, Hodo Mono Hodo which is great and she's kind of interested in spending time here. And the the cool thing, I'm sure Marnie will say this too, but like from Marnie's experience, you know, the cool thing about it is if you go to the calling in the hut and then hang out at the um, drones exhibition afterwards, Laurie will probably be there wandering around, you know, like mm, she, mm. she, um, so that's a, that's, you know, she's a great treasure. So yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's a cool yeah. thing. It's yeah. a cool thing. It's amazing. Well, congratulations on the festival in advance because uh, it's been amazing reading through the program, going to the launch. Um, talking to you guys about some of the stuff in advance. Um, I know it's going to go really well. Um, Fingers crossed. No, it is. I mean, you know, it's it's a great it is a great program. And when you said you think you've got a good music program, one of the things I liked about it was, you know, you were talking before about the the kind of marketing and the stigma around classical music. I actually feel like if anything, it's almost the classical related music that really shines. In a, way, in, in a way, and that's not yeah. to, you know, we've already named, you know, Naomi yeah, yeah. Reed, and there's so yeah. many cool things happening. But I, I look at some of those things like the Gretschke and go, man, that's that's the thing I want to see. Yeah, well, that's yeah. cool. So yeah. it doesn't feel relegated at all. And I, I think in the past it has seemed like 
a separate part of the music is classical music. That mm. feels more integrated. Yeah, we actually took it. We did have this definition, fine music. Mm. Like, even on the website, there was like a... And we actually decided this year, well, let's just call it all music, because mm. that's what mm. it is. And I think that, um, especially if you, when you start to get into jazz and, you know, these things are under... It's a bit like your dad and the soul music thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you put the word classical music on something, mm. like, into the ocean, oh, how yeah. do you classify into the ocean? Yeah, like, yeah, on, the, yeah. on one hand, it's... Um, a group it's a um, a string ensemble primarily but then the flip side of that is that the artists involved are artists who've performed in the kind of jazz and rock space mm. and so it's it's sort of that you know cliche of and actually that must be really hard as a writer just to say to you like when um, it must be hard not to constantly write this stuff is undefinable you know like th- there's mm, no genre mm, it fits into because mm. genres are kind of a helpful way of helping people navigate stuff. yeah yeah totally i i always think um you know you know sure people love to say genre was invented by marketers and, and retailers and music's music but genre is really helpful yeah I, I do think that yeah and um and i think like well, if i go back to my experience working in record stores if i ever played anything remotely in the classical genre over the shop stereo it sold and it always sold to someone who technically wasn't a fan of classical yeah. music because they, you know people who know know they already have it they recognise yeah. it they don't need it but yeah. people that's what you were doing you were trying to create an ambience in the shop yeah. but you're also trying to introduce people you know that was back when you when that was a, a gatekeeper and a yeah. tastemaker role where you introduced people yeah sold loads of um you know, all sorts of things, whether it was a film score or whether yeah. it was, you know, something like Jacques Louisier who did the kind of cl- uh, jazz versions of classical music. Yeah. Things like that. That, that. That's a really nice way to ease people into it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, genres are handy, aren't they? In terms of mm. just, get, but they're only helpful if you understand that, if you understand what it means. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think um, that's one of the things that, you know, we always have to be aware of, and it's easy to be ignorant around that, which is that, you know, if you've worked in a music shop like I have or a record store and, like, that stuff is kind of obvious to some extent. Although, yeah. I, please don't ask me what some things are. Genre, <laughs> particularly, like, you know, electronic music and stuff, I'm hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. But, um, but yeah, it's thinking about how... Yeah, there's still there's still a long way to go, I think, in mm. in terms of getting um, a big swathe of art stuff into a place where it can yeah be accessed. Well, you're trying. Well, you're trying hard. You're doing a good. You're doing a well, good. We're doing, you're doing a good job <laughs> of it. Well, yeah, I think there's um, there's I think it's also about um, you've got you've got to look and and try and test things too. So mm. um, and see see what what works and um yeah it's an imperfect science mm. it's objective as these things are yeah mm. is there anything else you want to put across is there anything you wished i'd asked you or you want to further plug i feel like we've had a pretty good i don't know run through it all yeah yeah um well money will speak to the program yeah. but um i guess yeah my 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 plea is always um for people to a please come like mm. the other thing is that you can't underestimate the fact that, um, you know, festivals are about the people that turn up. You know, you, you it has to be it has to be focused on, you know, people having experiences together or you know individually if you're doing a VR thing. But um, 
but also you know that is a huge way you can support us um, mm-hmm. um, if you are kind enough to do so and um, and also support the artists in the program and like particularly the new you know particularly the New Zealand artists there's some amazing really strong work from um, artists from all over New Zealand mm. and um, and they often it's new work is the other great thing like I mean you talked about there's a stair with a new album mm. Nadia Reid's doing new, new songs yeah um, there's a new work by um, Okarika Tairo Royal um, and he's that's an idea that he's had in his brain for 10 years which is just coming to fruition wow. a collaboration with Exhale Dance Tribe out of Cincinnati which is um, about the common the shared fuckabub between the Hokioi, the Haast Eagle in New Zealand, mm. and um, the Golden Eagle um, uh, in Cherokee kind of parlance, and you know that that's a work that for him has deep, deep personal resonance, and so um, so there there are there are real gems all through the program. Yeah, and I like that if um, if any of that sounds, and I don't think anyone that's listening to this and still listening to this will find this. Um, to be a problem but if any of that sounds a little bit too academic or too you know um, clever for them there's just some fucking good gigs <laughs> yep. you know like go and see the I'll new put that po- on a poster yeah there you go see this is <laughs> that's why I said you've got problems if you're asking me for advice no but I mean like go and see the new pornographers they're just a really good band yeah. that are going to play some songs that are going to make you feel good yeah and you're going to you know you're going to be pleased you saw them or you know the Aldous Harding show yeah. with three really strong acts is amazing I mean I think Wise Blood's released the best album, just about the best album of 2019, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, She's absolutely. She's just incredible. Yeah. No, well, I think that's a that's a great way to end. Fucking Some good fucking gigs. good gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, baby, it's getting late now. Feel so hard like I always do. I'm so scared of being.